You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. I'm excited for our membership class today. We have, I think it's five or six young people that this is either their very first time going through a membership class as a uh, period, going through a membership class period, or the first time they're going through it as an adult where they are making the decision to say, yes, this is my church as a, as a young person. So I'm super excited about that. We are in the third week of our vision series called The Story We Tell. And the reason for that title is I believe that the way we come together, the way we worship, the way we choose to live tells a story to the people around us. And you may have heard this phrase before. I, I know I grew up hearing it, but you may be the only Bible that anybody ever reads. And so how we live matters. We are called to be a kingdom of priests. And priests, they order their lives in such a way so that so they can serve their God. Awesome. Yes, he is awesome. Uh, we, so we order our lives so that we worship our God and we help people connect to God. That's one of the roles of a priest. They help people connect to God. And then we have to tell an accurate story of who our God is. And, and that's what I really want to wrestle with in this series is how do we tell an accurate story? How do we together tell an accurate story of who our God is? And I believe this has everything to do with culture, the culture that we create as a church. And that's one of the things that, that drew me to being part of a church plan is we get to build that culture from the ground up. Now, culture is something I've cared about for a long time. Um, being in the military, when I was a senior non-commissioned officer, when I put on the mass sergeant stripe, I became more aware of my own responsibilities of creating a culture that other people could buy into. And if that was true of the military, how much truer is it for us who are mature believers in Christ, which I know that God has brought many to Mission Ridge, if we're as mature believers in Christ, how important is it for us to own the culture of this church as it moves forward? So that's what this series is about. In our bulletins, you can see on the back page, we have our, our core values listed there. A couple weeks ago, we started with authenticity, vulnerability, and honesty, both as individuals and a corporate body will be core to our identity. Without vulnerability, growth is handicapped, trust is lost, and dysfunction is fostered. We commit to authentic living in order to build trust, strengthen relationships, and grow as a community. Is authenticity easy? No. It's, it, it's, it's hard work. It's hard work because... There have been times we've been authentic with someone and they didn't accept us. They didn't receive us. But we have the ability to create a culture where being authentic in this church, within the small groups that we create, within the relational 
discipleship environments that we create can be a safe place. Sacrificial generosity, we talked about this last week. God's church is meant to be a people of love and good works. We will be generous, we will serve, we will sacrifice, we will love our neighbor. And today we're looking at unity in diversity. The church is a unity of different members loving each other and working together for a greater purpose. Everyone has a voice and a role. We will build a community of people from different perspectives, ethnicities, politics, and socioeconomic standings. So we're going to take a look at what does it mean to be a people that have a unity in diversity. And last week, to talk about sacrificial generosity, we looked at the story of Ruth and Boaz. And with Ruth, we see that she says that your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She says this to Naomi. And and we see that she goes out and she understands the scriptures enough to know that that people are are supposed to leave the edges of their field uncut, not harvested, so that those who are poor and, and those who are traveling would have food for the table. And so Ruth goes and engages in that work because they didn't have a field of their own. Ruth and Naomi did not have their own field. And so in this, in her actions, in the way that she lived, you could tell that she trusted God. She trusted God to work through good people, through godly people. And in Boaz's actions, we see sacrificial generosity. He provides a way for Ruth and Naomi to have food on their table by not harvesting up to the corners of the field that that comes right out of Leviticus 19. And that was generous of Boaz. But we also see that Boaz went further because he had his men leave some extras behind, like purposely laying some extras behind so that Ruth and Naomi could participate in the festivals, in the celebration of their God. That comes out of Leviticus 23. And that's how we see sacrificial generosity making it possible for other people to worship with us. But there's one more piece of this story that I want to start our conversation with this morning as we talk about unity and diversity. In Deuteronomy 23, 3 and 4, we read these words, no Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Now the Ammonites and the Moabites, they came, they were descendants of Lot. So these are cousins of the Israelites. These are cousins of Abraham. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Wow. Like a whole, two whole lines from Lot just told, you do not get to worship the Lord, even to the 10th generation. Because... They did not meet you with bread 
and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Now, the Balaam story, if you want to take a look at it, that's in Numbers chapter 22. You may remember growing up hearing about the story of the talking donkey, and I'm not talking about Shrek. Um, you could check that story out, but I want to focus on this piece here that says, because they did not meet you with bread and water. So Israel is leaving Egypt. They have left Egypt and they're coming into the promised land and they need to cross the land of the Moabites and the Ammonites. They have to cross their, their land and the Lord didn't want them to confront them. And so they send a note saying, hey, can we pass by peacefully? And oh, by the way, we help us with our journey. And not only did they decide not to help them, but they wanted to curse the people of God. And God wouldn't allow that. He wouldn't allow for the curse. And that's the story in Numbers 22. But what did Boaz provide Ruth? Didn't he provide bread and water? To a sojourner? Isn't that interesting? Because if you know the rest of the story, Boaz and Ruth would become married, right? And they'd have children, at least one. I don't remember how many. I didn't actually look. They have at least one child. <laughs> and, uh, and they would have grandchildren. And one of those grandchildren is a young man named David who was a shepherd who would become king. Now, to be cut off from the assembly of the Lord is not just, that doesn't mean you just don't get to come in and worship. It means that you don't get to hold political office. It means you don't get to serve in the military. And, oh, by the way, you don't get to worship. To the 10th generation, like David is a couple generations away from, from Ruth. So how in the world did they not remember Deuteronomy 23, verses 3 and 4? Or, or did Boaz remove the curse by creating space for Naomi to worship his God with him. When he provided bread and he provided water. This, my friends, is unity and diversity in action. It connects people to Jesus. When I was in the Air National Guard, as I moved into leadership, I noticed that diversity was an important conversation. It had been for some time. I was just a young airman, and I was not aware of it, um, for whatever that's worth. And this was an important conversation from the top down, from the, from the governor of the state to the generals to the senior enlisted. This was an important conversation because the guard 
is a hometown response force. Picture Minutemen from your history lessons. And that hometown response force is to be a reflection of the community that comes out of. And so for those of us that served at Fairchild Air Force Base, the community that we were supposed to reflect or represent or look like was that of Spokane. Now, Spokane is about 85% white, 7% Hispanic, 6% of two or more race, 3% Asian, 2% African-American. And I'll tell you, that's not what our force looked like. We ran closer than 90 to 95% white in our guard units. And quotas wasn't the answer because we tried that. But diversity became a conversation about how we would recruit, how we would train, how we would promote our airmen. We wanted to make sure that everybody had an opportunity, that everybody had an opportunity to come into the guard, that everybody had an opportunity to become proficient, to excel in the guard, and then to promote through the ranks. And instead of going, going for quotas, we were going after changing the culture of the guard. We were asking our, our people to invite their friends. Like you have a, our diversity of friends was greater than our diversity of coworkers in the guard. We needed to change that. Our diversity of community was different than our diversity in our workplace, and we needed to change that. And I'm asking you to help us have a culture within Mission Ridge that unity and diversity is going to shine. In Revelations 5, 8 through 10, we read these words. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Just as the governor of the Washington Air National Guard made diversity a priority in the guard, Jesus through the cross makes diversity a priority for his church. His blood ransomed every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. John here is describing a diversity of ethnicity, thought, and culture. Because as you travel the world, you're going to find that people think about things differently than you do. They look at the world differently than you do. Different is not right. It's not wrong. It's different. And too often, we want people to change before they could join us. We want people to change before they become part of us. I was talking recently to 
um, Deshane Barnett. He's the director of the Urban Indian Health Center. He's a follower of Christ. And his friends will ask him, his, his, his people will ask him, why are you following the white man's God? And they assume it's because of his father, who's a white man. But Deshane has a heritage where his mother, grandmother, um, was influenced by the mission, by missionaries that came to this area. She had a positive experience. And Deshane and I, in talking about diversity and talking about how we can love our neighbor well, indicated that when we sit down with natives within Missoula, by and large, they're going to come to that conversation um, a little jaded because they didn't have a good experience. What they heard in that experience is you become white and then you can become Christian. If God's heart is for inviting in everyone, regardless of race or culture, then church, we need to adopt that heart too. And like the guard, quotas is not what we're after. Being a, the safest place for a diverse group of people to come together to worship is our goal. So we're not after quotas, but we are after being the safest place in town for people to come to worship together. Jesus was asked this question in Matthew 18.1, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And uh, my friend Marty Solomon believes that this is a philosophical question. This is a question about worldview. This is a question about which of the five factions that were seeking to influence and direct the path of Israel was right. So at that time in Israel, you had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, you had the Essenes, the Herodians, and the Zealots. And Jesus had all five of those factions represented within his 12 disciples. And we talked about this. If you want to hear more on this, listen to our Advent One footnote podcast from last December. I think it's dated December the 6th. But we talked about this at length. But Jesus had all five factions represented in his 12 disciples. To me, that's amazing because Jesus was very purposeful in praying about and selecting his 12 disciples. This is a melting pot of different viewpoints on how to move Israel forward. This is a, this is a melting pot of, of gasoline and fire. <laughs> like these guys sitting across from each other. For, for a zealot to sit across from a Herodian Man, they were, they were, one hand was on a knife, guarantee you. They were not happy friends to start with. Jesus' response to their question is this, and calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them, and he said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
whoever humbles, humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now first, children are not hung up on all the things that we get hung up on as adults. Have you noticed that? You put two kids that from two different cultures in the same room, they will probably just play and wonder why do they look so different, but they'll just play. But I also believe that Jesus is saying here, you need to learn from your father. You need to become like a child so that you can relearn everything. You assume you're getting into heaven. You haven't even learned the heart of God yet. Humility is what advances the gospel. Not demanding that our ideas are the best. And I want you to wrestle with this question. Why did Jesus have disciples from each of the five factions of Israel? Why did he have disciples from the political right and the political left? Why did he have disciples from the religious right and from the religious left? Why was that important to God? as Jesus prayed? Why was that important to the Father? Is it important to you to live like Jesus? And why did he not answer their question directly? Now, I've talked to Christy about this from a parenting standpoint. She's like, they ask me these questions and I don't want to answer them. Like, Jesus doesn't always answer our questions, so just don't answer theirs. It's okay. <laughs> Why did Jesus not answer their question directly? I mean, really, there had to be one group that had it all figured out, right? Just one? It's interesting to me that the disciples, after Jesus ascended, they never took on those old identifiers. They never, Paul did not go, or uh, Peter didn't go start the Pharisee Christian church. And Mark didn't go start the Herodian Christian church. They didn't go back to those old titles. They left those old titles, those old allegiances, and they only had one allegiance after Christ died for them and was resurrected. Isn't that interesting? Are you willing to fellowship with the disciple of Jesus who thinks about politics very differently than you? I know I am, because I know some of your political views. <laughs> I see your Facebook posts, and you see mine. We know each other, and I love you, and I'm sure you're right about some things. <laughs> I'm sure I'm right about some things, too. 
I wonder if Jesus thought that all of his disciples were right about some things and wrong about some things. Maybe that's why they needed a Savior. Are you willing to grow in your relationship with the Lord alongside people who have a different worldview than you? Because that is exactly what Jesus asked his 12 to do. Are you willing to go there? So that's diversity of thought. But Paul brings up another diversity issue, which comes down to design and roles and and giftings. And I think this will bring it all together for us. He says, but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I think, I feel like we sometimes unconsciously expect, because I don't think we'd actually say this, but we unconsciously expect people to become like us before they could sit next to us in church. But I don't see Jesus doing that. The goal of the church is to see each member become spiritually mature. We will not be spiritual consumers. In other words, we won't just come into church to get our fill so that we can make it until the next Sunday while we do whatever we're going to do. Paul says we are to operate as a body with each of us having our own part to play. And Jesus is the head of that body. And so he directs us. And where he leads, we go. God gave some to be apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as shepherds, and some as teachers. Why? To equip each of us for the work of ministry so that we could build up the body of Christ and that we may bring glory to God together. Salvation isn't hell insurance. Just to make sure that you don't go to hell. Salvation is something that we get to live in today. We get to experience God today. We get to enjoy him today. We need to grow into that Having unity and diversity means we embrace our own role within the body, within the church. If God made you a hand, you, you pick things up. If God made you an eye, you look around. But we also have to embrace the role of the people around us. The hand needs the eye. The eye needs the hand. They complement each other. They don't compete. There are things that you are way better at than I am. 
I want you doing those things. This is a diversity of design, roles, and giftings. We'll embrace the roles we were designed for. Paul tells us how we're going to do this in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner of a worthy of calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. How do we walk out? How do we live out diversity well? We walk in a manner worthy of the calling of God with humility, like we saw in Philippians, in the Philippians 2 Messiah poem. Jesus is our example of what humility looks like. We're going to need gentleness. We're going to need patience with each other. Maintaining our dependence on the Holy Spirit, seeking Him in prayer, asking Him, Lord, Your kingdom come. What is, what is my part? My hope is that we'll be the safest place in Missoula for someone to be wrong and yet come in here to worship alongside us. That we will do our part to help them to grow, but also be humble and patient as they grow and mature. That we will own our part in discipleship so that every believer becomes mature. I want this to be the safest place for you. Maybe you have, maybe all your theology is wrong. You come walking through that door. Or your theology, all your politics, all of it's just wrong. But you could come in and find a group of people that will embrace you and journey with you and help you to mature in Christ. Isn't that what the disciples needed? Regardless of what their worldview was, regardless if they're a Pharisee or a Sadducee that didn't even believe in the resurrection, like that theology was wrong. Many of the Pharisees thought the, the most important way to determine if you're loving God was, was obeying the Sabbath, and they were shocked to see Jesus do miracles on Sabbath. Can you imagine being his disciple and have him like do a miracle? Like you grew up believing that Sabbath was the most sacred thing that a Jewish person could hold to. And Jesus says, no, it's loving your neighbor is more important to me. Like how many times were the disciples just, did their jaws drop? Because they realized that God wanted to do something different in them. I suspect there are people within our community that they've got every thought about God is wrong. Are we going to be the safest place for them to come in 
to figure that out? That's my question for you. That's my question for us. But hear this, diversity is not about right and wrong. Some of diversity, like a big part of diversity is just our God-designed differences. Western thinkers look at the world differently than Eastern thinkers. Our Native American friends have much, their, their thinking process is much more related to, to Jesus than, than our own. As Greek thinkers, we think differently than Jesus would have when he grew up. Paul, earlier in the year when we were talking about this, when we were talking about Eastern versus Western thinkers, he showed us a map and how the map seemed upside down to us. But for some people, that's what they grow up with. Diversity is not about right and wrong. It's about God-designed differences. And my hope is that we will look long and hard at where we have been wrong in not accepting other people's differences. Because if we will look at that, if we will own that, God will teach us new things. And we'll start to mature in that area too. So the implication is this. The church is a unity of different members loving each other and working together for a greater purpose. So how do we do that? How do we become a church that is a unity of different members loving each other and working together for a greater purpose? We have to value everyone. We have to, we have to borrow the you know, glasses that that God looks through when you, when you see someone come walking through the door. We have to value everyone. How we become a church that has a unity of different members loving each other and worshiping together for a greater purpose, we have to invite in anyone that you see attempting to honor God. When they get started, it's going to look awkward. It could even look wrong. It may be wrong, but if you see a genuine heart that wants to worship the Lord, invite them in and disciple them. Maybe their discipleship was just all wrong. Maybe that's your part. How do we become a church that has a unity of different members loving each other and working together for a greater purpose? We have to fellowship, be willing to fellowship with people that you disagree with. And finally, you have to live out your design within the body of Christ until we all become mature. Guys, the role of the church is to invite people in and then help them to grow so they can worship God with you. That's what we're about. That's the culture we want to create. And the disciples lived out unity and diversity as they sat around what we call the Lord's Supper. And so, in a moment, we're going to 
partake of communion together. And if you are visiting with us, a um, couple things. One, if you're here to celebrate Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're invited to join us in that. Secondly, I will ask you to come up and grab the elements and take them back to your seat and hold them so we could take them together. When I do invite you up, I want you to be thinking about what is your role in diversity? I don't know, you know, the disciples had been with Jesus for three years. I don't know how well they got it at that point. They still thought that Jesus was going to provide a political solution. So I don't know if they really thought that the person sitting across from them who had this very different world of view than them, I don't know if they recognized what diversity would look like within the church. And then soon after that, inviting in, you know, Ethiopian eunuch and Cornelius, who's a Roman soldier, the occupying force, you know, work for the occupying force and, and for the Samaritans to be invited in for there be peace amongst the people that had been warring for a thousand years. Did the disciples understand what unity and diversity would mean to them? Did they know that they'd be singing a new song about every tribe and every tongue, every nation, every culture, being invited in to worship God because Jesus had purchased them for the Father. So I invite you to consider your part in diversity as you come up and grab the elements. I watch some of my friends on Facebook, and honestly, I'm not referencing anybody in this room. I can say that honestly. But I watched some of my friends on Facebook lob hand grenades, as it were, to the people on the other side of the aisle, political aisle, and it goes back and forth. They, the one lobs a grenade, the other one lobs a grenade, and the, the next lobs a grenade, the next lobs a grenade, as if half the country just needs to go. It's not why Jesus went to the cross. So we kick half the country out of the country. I can't believe Jesus did this. I can't believe he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I don't always love well. That's just an honest thing to say. I want to be, though. Because Jesus Christ showed us a kind of love on that cross that I just can't even imagine. But I'm so grateful that's true. So will you celebrate our Savior with me? Jesus, um, man... Thank you for the way you've loved me. Thank you for the heart surgery you've been doing inside of me recently. I've needed it. I pray, Lord, that we could love our community so well 
that they wouldn't even know that we think about things differently than they do. Even when we do. Even when we're right to think differently. But Lord, we want to invite people in so they could get to know you as a God of amazing compassion and forgiveness and a God that, that would see the heart of Boaz and look past the curse that was just, it was right. It was right for you to say, this people cannot come into my presence because they wanted to curse my people. And yet when Boaz sees a repentant heart, someone who wants to be near you, he invites them in in the way they should have, he should have been invited in in the first place. I pray we be that kind of people because you're that kind of God. And so Lord, we're going to sing one more song just to celebrate you. Tell you how much we love you. In Christ, I'm going to pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.